Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Friday comes around once a week, every single week, (laughs) and every single week, almost like clockwork, I try to answer a bunch of your questions that you've sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com using the contact form, sent in, mm, spoke in, mm, recorded in, yeah, kind of, and today we've got a bunch, so uh, questions and, and a comment, and we're going to start with the comment then get to the questions. Hi, Donna Tom. Recently, a gentleman called in on behalf of his son and inquired whether it would be a good idea to participate in his workplace deferred compensation plan as opposed to perhaps a Roth IRA or a 401k. You suggested that this could be a good option. I do agree with you. However, you failed to mention that in most cases, if I'm not mistaken, a deferred compensation plan, you would be an unsecured creditor. And should the company go bankrupt, you are very far down the list of people that might get paid out. So this is a risk that anyone participating in a deferred compensation plan should be aware of because this is distinctly different from a Roth IRA or a 401k. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, I don't recall the specifics of that particular call, but uh, you're right. Non-qualified deferred comp plans are not protected as uh, would a 401k be, because those are those are uh, separate assets. They're 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 custodied separately. They're protected, uh, or a Roth IRA or any other qualified plan. Companies don't have access to monies in a qualified plan. A non-qualified deferred comp plan is just an agreement between the employer and the employee, and it can, if a company does go broke, it can be a problem as you are a creditor, just like other creditors. So sure, yeah, if if I had my choices, generally speaking, I would start with the 401k up to the match. And maybe beyond it, if the investment options are great, uh, then the next step would be either a Roth IRA or a regular IRA, depending on your personal situation. And finally, and only finally, would be the non-qualified deferred compensation because, well, you know, everything has risks. And uh, so if you funded all those other things, you could do that if there's some advantage, if if they're giving you something. Otherwise, I'd probably just be tempted to use a regular old brokerage account, use uh, put, put my growth-oriented ETFs in there, things that don't distribute capital gains, and I think we're overcomplicating it. So there you have it. <laughs> Thanks for the comment. I do appreciate it. And please send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com or call us on Saturdays when we're live in the studio from 3 to 5 Eastern at 855-935-TALK, 855-935. 9358255. Here's the next question that came in from talkingrealmoney.com. Hi Tom and Don. My question is if I should roll over my 401k and Roth 401k from my previous employer to my current employer or leave them as is. I currently have two other accounts. The first account has about 20,000 in a 401k all in the PREIX mutual fund and this account has a $40 annual fee. The second account has a mix of both 401k and Roth totaling in 60000 
split 50-50 in a Spartan 500 index pool E and a TRLGX mutual fund. This account has an annual fee of $50. My current employer uses Fidelity, and I have my contributions sitting in an S&P 500 index, and I do not believe there are any fees associated with this account. In addition to this, I have a Roth IRA with Vanguard. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Oh, I hope your Roth is not in the Index 500 fund or a large cap growth fund because you have large cap growth, basically the S&P 500, for every one of your accounts. You have no small, you have no value, you have no international. Of course, you have no bonds, but that's okay. Um, but would I, would I move it? Yes. Would I move it to my existing company's 401k? Maybe, but only if there are a lot of choices from Fidelity. If you've got a lot of index fund choices and you can get some international, some small, and some value without getting into actively managed funds. Otherwise, I would just roll them over to Vanguard into a Roth or a regular IRA, whichever you prefer, and get that additional diversification. You need more diversification. You are just large-cap U.S. growth stocks. And uh, that is not, in our opinion, adequate diversification because small in value has been, over the past decades, where the slightly higher returns have been. doesn't mean it will continue that way. The other thing is is that this, this greater diversification that we believe in bails, has bailed people out over many decades from lots and lots of disastrous markets. For example, from 2000 to 2010, that lost decade, the S&P 500, you would have lost money over 10 years. Truly lost money. Whereas if you had some international and some small cap and some value, you would have very likely done a whole lot better. So uh, diversify, diversify, diversify. And uh, I would just go for a the, the, the choice with the better vehicles, which I'm guessing is going to be Vanguard in the IRA or the Roth. Uh, again, you can contact us so easily just by going to TalkingRealMoney.com, TalkingRealMoney.com, clicking on the contact form and recording your question just like this. Good morning, gentlemen. I have a question about the fixed income portion of my portfolio. I'm fortunate to have access to the TSP as my workplace retirement plan in addition to Vanguard for my Roth IRA. With regards to fixed income, what portion of my allocation should go into the G fund versus something like the F fund or BND over in my Vanguard account? Does 50-50 make sense? Or should one of those fund types have more of an allocation than the other? Thank you. Once again, the correct answer is, eh, it depends. And is there an exact answer? Absolutely not. The difference, the G fund is a short-term treasury fund very, very safe, low volatility, low interest. The F fund is an aggregate bond fund, so it's a lot like BND. As a matter of fact, F and BND are almost the same product. They're going to be real similar in terms of yields and in terms of volatility. So there isn't a right number, though. The more conservative you are, the more you should have in G. As for the BND versus F, it really depends on in which account you're buying the bonds. Uh, funny, BND now, because their expenses are so, so low, 
We used to talk about how low the expenses were on TSP funds, and they are. They're very low. They're still a fraction of a of a of a tenth of a percent. But <laughs> BND is now two one hundredths of one percent. And I think all in F is like seven one hundredths. And we're we're quibbling literally about pennies here. But uh, there is no right ratio. And again, here's that big brain thing going on. It's not going to matter that much. It really isn't. It's going to make a, the more aggressive you are, you'll have a fractionally, likely a fractionally higher yield. No guarantees any of that will happen, though. Thank you so much for listening and for the question. And here is our next one. Hey, Don, this is Brian from Tacoma. Thanks again for uh, answering these questions. Uh, a couple parts to this question. It has to do with international diversification in a portfolio. Uh, the first part is just wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on the school of thought that's out there that owning large U.S. companies in a fund is enough diversification for international exposure, or I should say meaningful diversification. Um, just wondering your thoughts on that and elaborating on why that may not be the case or is. Uh, I, I have heard from, his name is Ben Felix from PWL Capital, if you've heard of him. He does a lot of really great YouTube videos that there is some cross-country correlation that's been increasing between the large, more so the large growth companies versus small value companies and um, that there might be a little bit more meaningful diversification, having more value and smaller companies in your international part of your portfolio versus the larger companies. Let me start with the first part of your question, and then we'll do the second part. So we're going to split it in half. Uh, I've heard the argument. I don't give it a lot of weight because there, the more diversification you have, we believe the better. So even if there was a tight correlation between U.S. and international that was consistent over incredibly long periods of time, I would still want to have that international diversification because I was expanding my universe and still reducing my overall risk. Plus, given the fact that you know it's less than less than a hundred companies, according to uh, Professor Bessenbinder at uh, Arizona State, it's less than a hundred companies that over the past many decades have accounted for the bulk of the return of the market. And what if one of those companies just happens to be overseas? I want to own them all. I want to own the market. Uh, as for there being greater correlation between large cap U.S. and large cap international, of course that makes sense because they are so similar in what they do. We're in a global economy more so than ever before, and it's going to become increasingly similar, uh, uh, correlated in other words. So yeah, at the large end, it's, there's going to be a lot of correlation, but your, uh, your correspondent is right. There is less of it at the smaller and more value end of the, the spectrum. So I think that I still think we should have diversification globally own as many of the, uh, the stocks in the global economy as is humanly possible because our goal is really to just kind of emulate the return of the global economy. And maybe by tweaking small cap and value, we can increase that a little bit. But 
uh, really, we're just looking for the market. Now, let me go to the second part of your question. In regards to my portion of my international portfolio that I have, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on um, what I have out of the international that I have. Uh, 50% is in a small cap international value, which is AVDV, the Avantis International Small Cap Value. And then 25% is in the large cap uh, value, uh, DFIV, Dimensional International Fund. And the other 25% that makes up uh, the part of my international is the Avantis Emerging Markets, so AVEM. So those three funds, uh, I guess... Give me about 50% small and large with a value tilt, and there's a 25% of that is emerging market. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that being my international portion since I do own on the rest of my portfolio uh, an S&P 500 fund and, some, and a large value fund um, and U.S. small value fund, of course. I uh, just was kind of curious what you guys do at Appella, what you recommend on your international side of things, uh, what funds you recommend if you have a little bit more uh, exposure and more detail with your international side, or if you just keep it super simple. Uh, I was just curious what you guys would do in that situation. That's what I have, and I just was kind of wondering what you guys think about it. All right, thanks, Don. Have a good day. And there you have an excellent international portfolio. I, I don't think you could do better. These are terrific ETFs from terrific companies with terrific portfolios, with terrific expense ratios and the value tilt. And you've got a, a, a reasonable small cap tilt. You've got the emergings. You've got the bases covered, in other words. So congratulations. I, I, I'm very impressed. Thanks for the question. Now, our final question of the day. Hi, Don and Tom. This question is about longevity insurance. I also listened to Clark Howard, and I was surprised to hear him recently recommend longevity insurance policies. He seemed very enthusiastic about this. Uh, to my understanding, this is an annuity, and I know your feelings about annuities. Is there something better about this kind of annuity that would lead you to recommend it? Thank you for your input annuities. And that's what this is. Basically, longevity insurance is just an immediate annuity that kicks in when you're a lot older, like 80. It's to cover you if you run out of money, basically, when you get really old. Well, my question is, if you build the right portfolio, you invest properly, why would you need to worry about running out of money? You shouldn't need to be running out of money. Uh, even if you immediately annuitized, and the, the argument is you use your assets and then you let this annuity grow and then you get more payments when you're older. But again, this is you're betting with an insurance company. You're going to lose. Most people lose when betting with an insurance company. That's the math of it. You can't win. So if you live into your 80s or not, I'm sorry, not into your 80s, but into your 90s or 100s with longevity insurance, Congratulations, you beat the insurance company by a little bit. But they know that the vast majority of people are not going to make it that long. The other thing is the right portfolio going into retirement should not just be fixed income. And, and that's where the argument about running out of money before you run out of life comes from. Fixed income investments, given enough time, if you're taking a reasonable amount out, that 
three or four or five or six percent, they're going to run out of money if you live a long time. But if you have some equity in that portfolio, if you have a really well diversified portfolio and you have an actual plan for the income, you have a strict disciplined approach to taking out money. And one of our favorites is the flexible distribution strategy, where you take out, say, 5% of the account value every year and live on that. Well, doing that, given the markets of the past, it would have been virtually impossible to run out of money. Now, going forward, we don't know. But the odds of running out of money don't look good. And bear in mind, that's exactly what the insurance company is going to do with your money. They're going to invest it and have some stocks in the portfolio, something that can grow a little bit more so that they can make a lot of money on your money and pay you out a little of your money. So I really want to avoid giving money to an insurance company if I don't have to. As a matter of fact, if I did not have a mortgage on my home, I would probably carry dramatically, dramatically reduced insurance, if at all, if at all, because, you know, if I own my house free and clear and it burned to the ground, which is a very low likelihood event, um, I could probably build another house, maybe not as nice, not as big, but that would be okay with me and uh, with the money I have saved and invested. In other words, self-insuring. So I'm not a big fan of giving money to insurance companies if there is a way to avoid it. And in this case, I think really building the right investment plan for retirement and then having someone who can manage an investment income plan for you in retirement is as good, if not better, because now all your money belongs to you. Remember, with this longevity annuity, you lose everything. If you don't make it to that age... The insurance company keeps your money. Once you've converted that to a, an immediate annuity, it's theirs. So unless there are some writers, but blah, blah, blah. I, yes, I know for some of you, oh, but there are exceptions. You can get partial cash. I know, I know, but you pay for those. So no, I, I don't think they're a good deal for most people. It's a lifestyle thing, though. There are those who want that feeling of safety that nice, warm, cozy bubble around them. Uh, and for them, then it's not a money issue anymore. It's a, it's a comfort and security issue. And in those cases, sure, shop around, find the best deal for you. But generally speaking, I think you're better off keeping control of your money, not giving it to an insurance company. Thank you very much for being a part of the podcast. I truly do appreciate you. Thanks for being there. And remember, if you have questions, you can send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form, or you can call them in at 855-935-TALK. And every Saturday afternoon from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, noon to 2 Pacific Time, Tom and I get together, or Tom or I, sometimes we take a day off, and we answer your questions live. And we're there almost every day. I think the only time we've taken off was for Christmas. So Saturdays, call us, 855-935-TALK. And if you want some true pro bono help, which means free, with a, just an initial thing, you're a do-it-yourselfer, you don't need it, you just want somebody to look it over and say, am I on the right track? Look your portfolio over or say, here's what you really need to get a plan. Go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click on Meet an Advisor, and set up an appointment with one of our advisors 
They are absolutely free. They are with no obligation, and nobody's going to pressure you to do anything. Okay? Try it out. You're not going to lose anything. You could gain something, and it's a pretty pleasant experience. In fact, you can even talk with Tom on Saturday mornings. So just go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click on Meet an Advisor, and keep telling your friends to listen to Talking Real Money every day, practically, on your favorite podcast service. Take care of yourselves. I'm Don McDonald. Every Friday, taking your questions and Talking Real Money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.